Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Market Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Back with us is Kelly Ogilvie. He is the CEO and founder of Deep Cell. Kelly, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So for the audience who hasn't heard the other podcast in November of 2019, when we went all in on Ruby Sugar, Ruby Salts, Deep Cell, uh, the future of cannabis, crystal ball predictions and all that jazz. For those that didn't hear that, have no idea who you are, Tell us about uh, what you're doing, who you are, and um, anything else. Sure. So, uh, again, thanks for having me back. Kelly Ogilvy, founder of Deep Cell. Uh, we founded Deep Cell about five years ago, really at the beginning of legalization in the United States. I was working for Governor Inslee at the time and as one of his senior policy advisors, and cannabis was in my policy portfolio. Um, I have a background as an entrepreneur, so they hired me to be sort of the startup business advisor for the governor. And I saw a tremendous opportunity in the cannabis space. My sister was dealing with some um, serious pain issues and, and getting over an Oxycontin addiction, which is I've spoken publicly about very much. This is not going to be upsetting to her at all. And you know, she her life changed because of CBD. And that, and that was the push that I needed to leave politics and to go back into startups and business and found a deep cell. We started deep cell with this idea that cannabis could be the next big thing. And, you know, we have these projections that cannabis will be bigger than alcohol by 2030, which is a massive, massive market. And so, you know, we started out with this idea of let's build a technology company to really bring um, some of the domain expertise from different fields to cannabis that hasn't been here yet. So, for instance, biology in terms of genetics, um, what we're doing now, which is building software like blockchain and bringing that to supply chain for cannabis, Material science, like crystallizing cannabinoids into crystal structures like sugar and salt, which is our main product and technology right now uh, to enable people just to cook and make edibles versus having to extract it and make butter and all that stuff. So we wanted to bring innovation to the space, and we've been doing that for about five years. Um, the company's done about two million bucks in revenue since 2018, which is pretty good for us. Um, we're mostly a royalty company. We do have CBD products that we sell on the website and through retailers, although the retail business got absolutely crushed during COVID, as, as we all know. So um, it's been a tough 2020, but we're, we're feeling good about where we're going in 2021. There's a new administration in town. We're seeing a lot of interest coming from, what's interesting is we're seeing a lot of interest come out of Asia for CBD. So we're getting a lot of interest from China, um, Japan, and even Western Europe for CBD-based ingredients. So Maybe that is a lead. That's that's what we're doing and how it's been for the past couple of years. Oh, that's awesome. So you're getting into uh, international. So uh, let's let's jump into that. So I've also worked with the World Trade Center on an export store, and I found that compliance and peace of mind are uh, two entirely separate things that add to the complexity of an already overregulated industry. So dive into that. What is it like to do business internationally with Western Europe, Japan, or China? Right. So the only the only business that we've actually executed a deal with is Canadian, which is Indiva, our licensee partner up in Canada. They're publicly traded. They're a cannabis company. They're killing them with edibles, with the bang chocolates and wana gummies. That's also our partner in Canada. The, we've only been in discussions and negotiations with partners in Western Europe and Asia. And what's really sort of interesting about doing business with these different countries is each country has their own regulatory regime and how they perceive or look at cannabinoids. So for instance, in the UK, did you know that you can actually import purified CBD into the UK if it's pure CBD? Most people don't know that. Like if it's adulterated, if it's broad spectrum, if there's a molecule of another cannabinoid in there, it's no longer legal to do that. Not the same thing necessarily in China. In Japan, it's very similar. If you can 
ensure that there is not a single THC molecule, so the testing has to go down to a certain level of sensitivity, then you can bring CBD from hemp into, the, into Japan. So, so these different countries have very different ways in which they're, they're looking at the molecule, how they're approaching regulation. And it's still, there's just a lot of, I think, uncertainty, fear, and doubt around um, sort of FUD around cannabinoids internationally. But, but we're seeing a lot of interest right now. And, and I think that has a lot to do with just this, the dam is breaking every year. I mean, you and I see this every year, more and more countries are legalizing. It's taking a lot longer than I had expected, or maybe we had talked about this, you had expected too. But here we are, and you know, I think those who are are geared and are compliant will do pretty well in the next maybe five to ten years in the cannabis space. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna, yeah, that's an interesting uh, point. I want to know, like, what's it going to take to be successful, and maybe we'll cap that off. But before we get there, um, out of the two million that you've made since 2018, how much of that is from your foreign uh, Canadian um, partnerships, and how? How do royalties work in the cannabis space? Yeah, in terms of the the specifics of how much they've paid, I, um, I'll just say a significant chunk has come from the royalties in the company right now, and most of them have been driven by the Canadian partner and our partnership with them, and 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 they're wanting to license the technology and roll these products out. Licensing in cannabis is very very challenging, as you know and I know. The problem in the cannabis space is the barriers to entry are regulatory in nature. And the, be- the, the really sort of sucky part about that is that the regulations are not written in stone, they're written on paper. And so these regulators will just move the goalpost. So you'll, you'll have compliant packaging, you'll have a compliant contract, you'll have all this stuff with your partner ready to go. And then they'll go, actually, we need to change the packaging now. And your 50,000 units of packaging is no longer compliant. So go buy stickers to, to change the packaging or just throw it away. Or they'll say, well, there's a new rule which limits the amount of revenues you can generate in a partnership. That happened in Washington state. So in Washington state intellectual property agreements, the, the maximum that uh, a, um, a company like us can generate would be uh, 10% of the net profits of sales. So that really hinders a, a company's ability to make significant profits in a specific market and it forces licensing companies to then have multi-market operations. And so, you know, that's a byproduct of what's happening right now on a state-by-state regulation basis. Um, Some states are more draconian and tough than others. For instance, in California, producers and processors have to sell to a distributor, then they go and get that stuff tested and then sell it to the retail store. So it's a a three-tier system, kind of like alcohol in California. No such system really exists in Washington. So it's, it's navigating it's no, first of all, knowing what the structure, the legal structures are in these markets. And then two, doing the, the sort of legal gymnastics to, to make the contracts compliant. When we all know it's, it shouldn't be this difficult, but there are just hoops to jump through right now. And I think that's where a lot of excitement is coming. And you see, you've seen it pop in the, the, the cannabis stocks. Once Biden got elected, it's like, there's a bit of a, a little bit of a sigh of relief or a little bit of an exhale, like, okay, he has stated explicitly, we're gonna legalize cannabis. And this should presumably make it easier for companies like us to do um, licensing because there'll be some sort of federal framework we, we can at least benchmark to and go, okay, this is the minimus that we can meet and then we'll do whatever stuff is required by the states, but at least we'll have a foundation to begin upon. And so it's been, it's been challenging from a licensing perspective for that very reason, these markets, because of all the compliance and legal costs. What was doing really well for us in 2019 was CBD. 
hemp CBD sales were uh, booming. And then COVID hit. And then literally those sales, Josh, they went to zero for a while. I mean, literally our sales were growing and then they just went off a cliff. And, and I think I have two different sort of, you know, you ask the question, well, why? It seems counterintuitive. You'd think that during COVID people would want CBD because it you know, release, relieves anxiety, relieves inflammation, which are all things that maybe COVID could be responsible for. But I think two things happened. One, disposable income got nuked meaning people lost their jobs. There was, you know, literally panic in the streets in March, June, July. And then people sort of began to adjust to the new normal with the lockdowns. And the second thing is because CBD, cannabidiol, interacts with the immune system, it's like hacking the immune system. You sort of pull levers, which control inflammation, control all the different sort of areas of, so these base levels of the human operating system. So inflammation, pain, pregnancy, immune response, uh, modulating pain, like all, all these things that CBD makes CBD powerful, there was a fear that because COVID is an unknown entity and because it works in such weird ways that we still don't quite understand, are we going to be harming ourselves by, by consuming a molecule that also isn't as well studied as say other medications in the market? And so sales fell. Later in the year in 2020, studies come out showing not only is CBD effective in treating some of the core symptoms of COVID, which is inflammation of the lung tissue, the respiratory tract, things like that, but it also potentially is competing for the same surface, the receptor sites that COVID spike protein attaches to, the ACE2 receptor. So it's like, it's like you get this double benefit of consuming CBD. Number one, you're reducing inflammation, which are one of the main drivers of human disease states, and two, you're also co competing for the same potential surface area COVID might want to attach to in your organs. So, you know, we're seeing CBD sales slowly come back. We're seeing THC sales booming in these legal markets and the medical markets. I am, I am quite optimistic for 2021. I was pretty not optimistic last year, but man, I feel a lot better about 2021. So we've got a lot knocking on the door like blockchain. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to ask you about um, what it's going to take to be successful. So we have the House, we have the Senate, we have the president and the Democratic control uh, who are more in favor of cannabis than the Republicans. What is it going to take to be successful uh, in the industry and what's going to happen in 2021 and beyond? Good question. I think from a the first thing I think we'll probably see happen out of the federal government is, is the president out of the White House do some executive actions, some things in, at the agency level like the DEA or the FDA or the Department of Agriculture, some rules that will allow it um, to begin sort of ease the way for cannabis companies. Then you'll see congressional action at some point in the next four years. I don't know when, I don't have a crystal ball. So in terms of 2021, I don't know. I, I think there's gonna be a lot more of the same for now, meaning state by state, multi-state operators, um, the cannabis names in Canada are still probably going to be sort of the proxy for betting on the cannabis space. There really aren't any American traded companies on the NASDAQ or the S&P that are cannabis names, unless you're doing some sort of proxy play like Scott's Miracle Grow or something like that, or, or a light producer or something. So in 2021, I think you're going to see a lot of the same. I think you're going to see an increased importance of California. I think the, the, the realization is that we are going legal federally and California is Rome. It is the cultural, it is the economic, it is the world's big, California is the world's biggest cannabis market in human history. It is a massive, massive market. There's 40 million people there and they're all smoking weed right now. So it's, you know, it's a big market. The celebrities are there, the capital is there. 
So I think you're seeing, you're going to see a lot more companies, including us, looking at the California market to introduce these products and compete in that deep, deep ocean of competitors in California, because that, that's the arena. That's the Coliseum right now. Those that come out of California have the potential to become the international brands. It's almost like back in the 1800s, you walk into a saloon and you go, hey, bartender, give me some whiskey. And he wasn't like, oh, do you want Maker's Mark or do you want Knob Creek? He just, you know, pours you a whiskey. That's kind of like cannabis today in a lot of ways. Like you go in, you say you want something and they kind of just hand you something or they kind of go, oh, here's a OG Kush from so-and-so. But you don't know who those brands really are. I think you're going to see the emergence of much bigger brands and even beyond Cookie Family and sort of that, you know, the runs, the big brand, like the strains that are out there. I think you're going to see big companies begin to dominate that space. And whether it's Kaliva or it's RJ or, you know, Philip Morris, I don't know. But one thing's for sure, you're going to see a flood of innovation. Um, we've been in discussions with some technology providers, people that do internet connected devices that are going to be bringing all kinds of cool stuff to the cannabis space. So I think technology is the story for 2021 going forward. Yeah, that was actually my crystal ball prediction uh, pre uh, pandemic was that automation was going to come in. We were going to see a lot of a lot of AI, um, but it's kind of taken a year. And so, just with the um, pre-roll manufacturing, there's a, a company called uh, Roll Pro or Pro Roll, and it's actually a a non pre-roll, so it's a regular uh, joint. So new things are coming out, automation's coming out, AI is coming out, and blockchain. Tell me a little bit about that because uh, you're you're messing around with another highly regulated industry. How'd you get involved, and what are you doing? Yeah, so we, um, we, we are part of a venture cohort for a company called R3. So R3, it's, the, it's one of the world's biggest sort of private blockchain providers. There's consensus out of JP Morgan. There's um, Corda out of R3. And then I'm missing one other. I think it's um, another sort of private blockchain. And, and I think people, when they think blockchain, they automatically think cryptocurrency. And in a lot of ways, that's true. You know, the, there is no real cryptocurrency without blockchain and there's for the most part there really wasn't a blockchain before cryptocurrency that's the the cryptocurrencies are like this economic incentive for security of the network but there are these blockchains called distributed ledgers that are private that don't necessarily need tokens to facilitate the utility of a blockchain so r3 provides private blockchains to institutions they, they provide um, blockchains to nasdaq so nasdaq will be trading some securities using the r3 quarter blockchain um, they're consulting with central governments central banks, but then they have, you know, a division of startups and we're part of the cohort working with um, the startup venture division. And we're, we've been building a basic, basic concept. Here's the concept. In cannabis, there are two big problems. There are many problems, but here's two of them. One is trust. A lot of people in the cannabis space, there's a lack of trust in the industry. Meaning, am I, if I'm buying a, a pound of cannabis from you to process into edibles or into pre-rolls or whatever, Am I getting what you say I'm getting? You told me it's 27%. Here's a, a test. It's OG Kush. But how do I know unless I get it tested myself? And even then, will I know? Are those the actual genetics? So trust is one. Number two is payments. Payments are a problem in this industry. Not only is it cash and check for the most part, but get, you know, tracking people down, having them pay on, on, on time, you know, essentially having your accounts receivable, chasing their account, the payables departments from other companies down is problematic in this space. So we've been developing a blockchain with a simple premise. Can we take the trust and the payments and sort of put those aside for a second? And we've been building a smart a, a, a platform for people essentially to upload their testing results and take photos of their cannabis. And it gets verified when the, the buyer buys a product and gets delivered. 
and it's all on a distributed ledger blockchain. So we've been building that for about, I don't know, a year, year and a half. Um, the, the machine vision component, that's something we've been developing for about two years. Um, the data Oracle that takes the testing data and does some analysis has been in work for about a year and a half. And then this blockchain project has been in um, moving forward for about six months. We have a, a partner that does supply chain logistics on blockchain. So we're partnering with them. And now we're looking for um, a wallet provider so we can transfer stable coins to, to uh, uh, settle payments. Right now, the payments part of it is a little bit wonky because of the weird regulation in the States, especially given the SEC's action against Ripple or the executives at Ripple. So we're, we're waiting to see what happens with cryptocurrencies, what stable coins will be allowed, what won't, um, but we're gearing up for that future. We, we know crypto is the future, like digital money, there is no doubt about it. That's the most obvious next revolution and we wanna be there for it. So the, the blockchain piece is just sort of front running that future, but it also addresses the problem today. Whether you go there proactively or you're forced to go there because uh, physical currency is dead as they go to a digital currency, it's gonna happen. How do you foresee yourself moving into the cannabis space with crypto? Is it for inventory optimization or are you going to even move into cannabis with it? What, what are you gonna do with it? Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll essentially the platform itself will be um, available to buyers and sellers. So, so really it's just what, let's, let's have utility first. What is the problem we're solving? It's trust and payments. If people can get on a platform and it's verified at both points, meaning the testing results and the, the machine vision recognizes it, it's the same cannabis, boom, boom, good, good. Um, if it satisfies minimum specifications, money gets remitted. Either they can cut a check if they want, or we're just gonna offer them at some point, maybe it's version one, maybe it's version 1.5 or two, but a wallet that will let them settle in stable currency tokens instantly. Right. So the trust and payments whole part about that. So are you going to be a money transmitting service? Do you have to go and, and file with the Department of Financial Institutions or anything? We don't own the wallet. Oh, nice. I, I don't own the wallet. I, we don't ever touch the money. All we're doing is saying we're a messaging service. So-and-so here's their address. Here's this person's wallet. You know, you guys, you know, do your thing. Now, now what's really cool about this, we've thought this through. Can we put together some sort of smart contract protocol that will hold the stable coins and release them upon satisfaction? You know, if you satisfy the, uh, the requirements of an agreement, can we then have those stable coins released from the escrow or, or this sort of protocol for stable coins and then uh, move from one wallet to the other? So for instance, you and I are doing a transaction. Um, you, you know, essentially you're growing, I'm buying, we're both licensed entities. Um, I receive the cannabis, it's good. I'm like, Josh, this is fire. Okay, perfect. Um, it's verified, I click accept. And as soon as that happens, the money goes from the smart contract to my wallet or to your, to your wallet. You never have to meet me. You never have to talk to me. All you need to know is my money is there, number one. And that number two, you've met minimum spec and the money gets released. Like that, that is the future for a lot of things, by the way. Like if you think about it, smart contracts and what Bitcoin did first with blockchain and Ethereum did second with smart contracts is going to change the world. And, and there's no reason why cannabis can't be a big part of that because this is like one of the industries where there is actual problems that crypto solves immediately. And, and by crypto, I mean, not just the payments part, but the smart contract part, the distributed distribution of, of consensus and sort of the, the, the tearing down of this, this trust that's required for business and turning it into a trustless enterprise. That, that will, I think, unleash the potential of lots of industries. What else are you going to unleash? You got a lot going on, some really cool products, uh, Ruby Sugar, Ruby Salt, everything that, um, that Deep Cell is working on. Anything that you can uh, tease an audience with? Yes. Uh, any products you got coming up? 
Yes, that's the, well, one more thing. So we, you know, the sugar salt that, and the gems are, are chewable tablets that are THC in Washington state. Like that's our best selling product. So we've been very focused for the past few years, uh, uh, sort of the company's been split between focusing on product and focusing on brand, delivering really good CBD based products to market. And also, you know, working with great partners on the THC side. Then this sort of software sort of digital tech has been percolating in our skunk works for years. We've always been a tech company. The one thing I'm most proud of, and that I think we're going to be announcing in the next three months, we've been waiting for a patent for a long, for a couple of years now. And this patent is around binding prebiotic fiber to CBD. It's very similar to our crystal fusion patent in the sense that binding cannabinoid, essentially tying cannabidiol within the, the crystal structure of this fiber, um, this uh, illegal saccharide, it's just a, um, a type of carbohydrate. And what it does is it's really good for your gut bacteria. And so we're really excited about the wellness applications of prebiotic fiber, which fuels beneficial gut bacteria and what that does for human wellness. And there's an explosion of research happening around gut wellness and sort of the gut is a second brain and all this stuff. But that is a really cool patent because it allows us to provide time-release CBD. Well, what the heck does that mean, time-release CBD? Well, if it's bound within the fiber, when you consume the fiber, you don't consume that fiber, meaning the, the, as a human, you're not consuming that fiber, it's your gut bacteria that consumes that fiber. So it latches onto it like a wrap and it begins to ferment it and consume it. And as it consumes it, it will release the CBD from the, the bound structure. And so that's, we're really excited about what that could mean for people with Crohn's disease, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammation issues, because most people, they don't wanna keep taking CBD every four hours. So if you could take it once every eight hours or once a day, I think that's gonna make CBD a much more um, accessible uh, molecule for wellness if you don't have to keep taking it all day. Because people with real problems, they have to keep consuming CBD throughout the day because it's like the way it works is, you know, you sort of get to a, a peak blood concentration, then it falls, you gotta take some more and it comes back I mean, you're on this roller coaster of, of dosage. And this is from, you know, how medical patients have been dealing with it for a while. So um, th that's the last thing. That's a product that we call Premium. We're not sure exactly when that goes to market, but there's a lot of interest in that product. It's like a sweetener. It tastes a little bit like a vanilla sweetener almost. Well, unpack that a little bit. Tell me about patents. Um, how many patents do you have? Are you raising capital? Are you looking for investors? Because you, you have a lot of cool stuff going on. Yeah, we, we own one patent. So we, we, we received a patent in 2017. We were one of I think 24 companies that had a patent around cannabis that year. So there's very few companies filing patents. So in, in general, there isn't a lot of in, um, patent creation in the cannabis space. There's a lot more now in the past two years than there was you know, three years ago, but it's still relatively um, not a populated place yet versus like AI or software. There's patents literally everywhere. There's no room. In cannabis, there's a lot of sort of green, sort of green, you know, green field right now. Um, we filed several other patents um, I think we'll end up having another one this year. Um, we filed provisional patents. So, you know, we filed a total of six patents overall. We received one. We'll probably get another and the other four we'll probably won't get or we'll just abandon. Um, but intellectual property is an area that currently, I don't, I don't want to say isn't valued, but it isn't as valued as I think it should be for now. And I, but I think it'll work its way back into valuations of companies making those investments. So GW, obviously they're big time. They, they own patents and they're doing great stuff with FDA approved products. We're filing patents, Kaliba's filing patents. I mean, there's a ton of companies filing patents and we'll see what happens. 
on the capital front, we just closed a small round, which is great. We needed it just to make sure that the company is capitalized through sort of the tough times of COVID and just maybe front running if there's any more complications with lockdowns and whatever else can happen with COVID in this uncertain world. So we closed a small round. We're not looking for capital today, but we will be looking for capital probably towards the end of 2021 in a real, real round. So we expect to achieve some key milestones around new market penetration, maybe some new product releases, then we'll raise capital again. And especially if the software thing goes well, then I think our valuation explodes. Right now we're being valued a lot like um, cannabis companies are valued, meaning a manufacturer and there's a risk, sort of like a risk discounting. <laughs> People discount you, your valuation because you touch a controlled substance. But once legalization happens at the federal level, and then once um, I think um, some tech things play out the way that I hope they do, we might get valued at a different valuation, more like tech versus uh, plant touching companies. Yeah, I'm running through the same thing of do I want to be a tech company or do I want to be a hedge fund with a C3 fund? So very, yeah, you got <laughs> to go with what makes sense. And you know what? The multiples matter depending on what you call right. yourself. I don't know. Why, I don't know if it's just human psychology. People need to put you in a bucket. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, you are a cannabis company. Oh, you're a hedge fund. Oh, you are, oh, you're tech. So you get a multiple of mm -hmm. Tesla, you know, 1,780 or whatever it is, you know? Yeah, yeah I know it's crazy. <laughs> My, yeah, I've got a short position on that and it's not doing too well. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? You are brave. But I know. Okay. I got to tell you, I think you're, you're right. But you know what? I've, I've learned something the hard way. Inevitable doesn't mean imminent. And I've been crushing some of my short positions last year. Just because I'm early doesn't mean I'm wrong. Just right, wait for right, it. Yeah. Right, right. All right. With that, I think uh, we got to let you go. Busy man. Tell the people where you're at, social media or otherwise. Go ahead and uh, give them some plugs. Awesome. Thank you. The, the Instagram handle for our THC products is at Made with Ruby. Ruby is our flagship brand. Um, at Gemstone CBD at, on Instagram is a CBD portfolio. Our website's gemstonecbd.com and deepcell.industries. And we'll put a lot of that in the show notes, what we can uh, for social media at least. So uh, the man who said California is Rome, the biggest, uh, it is. biggest <laughs> market in human history right there. Kelly Ogilvie, CEO and founder of Deep Cell. Kelly, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thank you, man. See you, Josh. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Bye. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.